Welcome to the Plain Sight podcast hosted by Invisible. Invisible Technologies is a fascinating company. Uh, we essentially make complex business problems disappear. So we partner with you. We figure out what your operations are. We figure out what your processes are. We figure out what your team doesn't like to do. And we basically do that better, faster, cheaper. Uh, but this isn't specifically about what we do. It's also the philosophy behind why we do it. So this show really gets into what makes Invisible tick. Uh, who are the key players at Invisible? Who are the key players outside of Invisible who enjoy our work? Um, what are all the things that are going on inside of Invisible? What a podcast does, it allows you to find out things that you normally wouldn't be able to find out. So it's like a fireside chat that's basically decentralized and anybody can listen to it at all times. So we really invite you to uh, listen and subscribe if you really like these episodes. And as always, you can reach out to anybody on the Invisible team. Uh, our website is invisible.co uh, and we're happy to have you here. Welcome to the Plain Sight Podcast. My guest today is Renee Arias. He is an information technologies administrator at Invisible Technologies, and he has touched everyone's lives at Invisible because he's the guy everybody goes to when they need to figure something out technically. Uh, and welcome to the show, Renee. Well, thank you, Stuart. It's uh, good to be here. I appreciate it. And that was a very nice uh, intro you gave. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that a lot of people at this organization are going to absolutely love uh, love hearing about you because you're like Hermes, I think, right? That's your name? That's your Greek name, Hermes? Yes, Hermes, Messenger of the Gods. Uh, Francis gave it to me, uh, I believe, at the beginning of last year or towards the end of 2022, where my anointment of Hermes came from. And uh, can you go more into Hermes? Like, what have you done some study on Hermes and or uh, or has it just been a fun thing to have? Uh, so the nice thing with Hermes is like, other than, of course, being the messenger of the gods, and it's like, I believe one of the reasons why Francis wanted that to be my name was because, especially in the early days, whenever he would run into issues, and this is before I really started working closer and closer with Francis, he would like message me or he would like CC me on email and he'd be like, CC, Renee, could could this be done or could you add this or what have you? And then like a couple minutes later, I'll, I'll reply back saying, it's like, oh, this has been done or sure thing, no problem. And then he would get it said, um, resolved. So after a while, he started uh, calling me Hermes on that because he's like, I can always count on you really fast. And then you pop up right away, you do what you need to do. And then just like that, you're out. So I get <clears throat> it kind of divulged from there into the Greek uh for Hermes. That's very cool. And so how did you end up invisible? Yeah, so when I uh, originally, I was actually scrolling through Facebook one day and I noticed a post from a, a former uh, partner at Invisible. His name was Skylar Stevens and he worked, <clears throat> he was uh, actually a friend of a friend of mine, uh, Cameron Pallisbont, who's here at Invisible as well. And so when I saw that original post, that job posting for, I believe it was for writing, and it was to write out the processes for the different steps, I was I reached out to Skylar and I was like, hey, I saw that you uh, are working with the Visible. That's so awesome. Could you tell me more about this role? And then I guess he had an internal conversation with Cameron. And during that conversation, because at the time they were looking for a... Uh, uh, um, an internal agent that would be able to 
work on different client-sensitive accounts as well as internal uh, documentations and usually uh, internal processes that require uh, uh, already a pre-existing foundation of trust in it. And they're like, well, we already know Renee. Uh, he's pretty trustworthy on that regard. So it's like, why don't we bring him and see if he's interested in that? And at the time, the role was called the century role. Uh, and the reason why uh, Cameron was calling it the century role is because like like a century, you're always at the front lines uh, of the castle, making sure that you guard on who comes in and who comes out of the um, <clears throat> of the fortress. So that's where my original start came from. I started as an agent on, um, I believe it was March 19th, 2018. And then from there, just slowly um, got onboarded with a whole bunch of group of uh, new agents for different processes. Uh, and then kind of just divulged from there into uh, what it is today. It was, um, at the time there was just agents and partners. And then I kind of molded into each different form, whether it was from agent. And then once the specialist role became a thing, I was turned into a specialist. And then at the end of, or yeah, at the end of 2021, uh, or sorry, the end of 22, I became a partner. So I, I've, been, I've been one of the lucky few to have it where I have went through probably every stage of the tears at Invisible at this point. And I've I've been very grateful for that to kind of see how it all come together. That was so cool. So what was the, how'd you become a partner? What was that like? So during the last, and it was during the last bit of uh, Francis Pedraza, our former CEO's uh, of his uh, tenure or tenure, his, uh, his reign. I don't know what's the right word to say for that. Um, he, uh, we worked a lot on like getting WhatsApp groups and like getting these other BUs kind of like at least an idea started for them. And during that process, uh, during that time period, I was working a lot with uh, Francis, a lot with Invisible on helping getting a lot of it set up and a lot of it structured in, in simple ways. And during that time, it's just a lot of long hours working with Francis. And during that time, I think it was just mostly like, as his last active as active CEO, he wanted to uh, he he made me and a, another partner at the time. Um, I almost said CEO. <laughs> he made uh, us both. He made us both partners because he says like I have uh, put Renee and Jill. That, that was the other partner at the time. Uh, Jill Weston. Say I put them through the trial by fire. They worked through uh, with me through all this, uh, this whole time without any complaints and got everything that they needed to be done. And so he wanted to reward that with the honorary partnership roles. So it was very, it was a very humbling experience. I remember I was like, I want to say first couple of days into the Christmas break. And I just get a message from Jill saying, it's like, good morning partner. And I was like, Okay. okay. And I, I didn't think anything of it. I thought it was like more like howdy partner until <laughs> then. Like, did you check the email? And I said, what email? So then I looked in and I saw his email of everything he, uh, his whole plan for infinity and like his last, uh, access, uh, CEO of invisible and what he plans to do. And I, 
it's like, oh, that is incredible. I was not expecting that at all. Like I, like I said, I was not expecting anything like that kind of uh, promotion. So it was very, it was very humbling to see that to like, not only just to be promoted, but to have like the CEO notice your work and then reward you for that. So it was I something I greatly appreciate. And now have you ever worked at a startup before, before uh, Invisible? No, this is actually my very first one. Uh, before Invisible, I worked at as a Lyft driver for uh, for Lyft, and then before that, I worked at a restaurant called Copan Ramen as a waiter, and then even before that, I worked at a chinchilla ranch, where my job was to take care of chinchillas all day and sell them to people. What is a chinchilla? Uh, chinchilla is a small little mammal. Um, it, it's like the mixture between a rabbit and a rat or no, a right. rabbit and a, a rabbit. And I want to say, yeah, I guess a not a rat, but a rabbit and a guinea pig. There we go. That's a better way. And they are like the fluffiest animals on the planet. And with them is that they're a nocturnal little creature. And actually, while we have like one hair per follicle or seven hairs per follicle, they have over a hundred hairs. So they have very dense fur. So actually they can't take normal baths like you and I. So they actually have to take dust baths because any moisture trapped into their fur will cause mold and irritation on their skin. So they actually roll around in what's called volcanic ash, which because they live from the, in the mountains of Chile. <clears throat> so uh, there's a lot of like ash residue up there and that's where they get their morning baths or evening baths. And um, that's what it was like uh, working at a chinchilla ranch, just mostly taking care of them and also uh, making sure that they go to good homes. So we'll, we'll talk more about Invisible, but I want to keep uh, keep on diving further into this chinchilla. Uh, what was the point of the farm? Was it to sell people these chinchillas or was it for their fur? Like why uh, why why is there a chinchilla farm? So actually, a long time ago, the owners was named Lurley Adams, her and her husband, John Adams, not John Adams, Jim Adams. And they actually bought this ranch from a couple beforehand. And they were actually originally, unfortunately, sold for their fur. They were killed for their fur to make fur coats. And it takes around about 20 to 30 chinchilla pelts to make a, a designer coat. But during that time, during the early years of their ranch that they had set up, she started, uh, literally started noticing that, or realizing like these animals are so loving and they're so personable with each other that she couldn't bring herself to keep doing that. So she switched over her business operations from, <laughs> from uh, killing chinchillas to make fur coats into selling them as pets and um and providing them uh, with proper care for people who actually have chinchillas. Like she would do some basic remedies for them, uh, almost like a one-stop shop for all things chinchillas. We produced cages. Uh, <clears throat> I almost said man-made cages. All cages are man-made, but I mean, <laughs> uh, uh, in-home cages that we would make as well as their di uh, food for their diets, uh, any medications that they might need. So. Um, it just kind of became this thing where instead of 
killing chinchillas. They were saving chinchillas in a lot of ways. And there would be so many people that they wouldn't be able to take care of their animals anymore because they were moving or what have you. And she would take them in and foster them until she could bring them up for adoption for another family. And it's uh, it was it's a really uh, beautiful experience just kind of seeing like how it went from I wasn't there during the killing process. I should specify. I wasn't. And she was already a non-kill area by the time I got there. But she's very honest about it. She was very honest about how her start came from in that regard. And now, were, what was your role at this organization to give them the dust baths? Was there anything funny or interesting about those dust baths in Volcanic Ash? So my original role at this Chinchilla Ranch it was actually to make the cages. That was my original role I uh, joined with. But then um, the caregiver at the time, that sole purpose was to take care of all the chinchillas. They left. So then they knew that role filled pretty fast. So then I took on the role of taking care of the chinchillas. And that did involve giving them their dust baths and um, feeding them, making sure they had their waters and, of course, cleaning all the cages. And uh how the systems work is set like a colony where there's a row at the top of the bases of all the cages for all the females are. And there'll be a male that could go through between each of them. So he can um, breed with the females if they need to. And a funny story that happened was when uh, this chinchilla, one of the male chinchillas was with a female chinchilla and I didn't see him in there and he was taking a dust bath. And because we had like these little containers that they jump in that had a lid and you could open up the lid and they could jump back out. And the reason why we kept that, because if they could, they would stay in there all day in the in the dust. And with that, they will and they they won't get out of there at all. So we would like to make sure that the lid is closed so that way they're not just obsessing over into the dust. And I didn't see him in there. And so I closed the lid on it. So he stayed in there for about. Not super long, but he stayed in this dust bath for probably about about 30 minutes. And I was like looking for this male through the little colony line and I could not find him. I was like, oh, shoot, how did, where did, where did he go? And then I noticed like one of the dust bath containers kept bouncing. So I opened it and then he just pops out, shakes himself off and he goes about his day. It's like, oh, shoot, I'm so sorry. So there, there's just been funny uh, small little moments like that or I've had it where a chinchilla jumped out of the cage and I spent an hour chasing them around the cage because they're they're pretty good at parkour they they will ju- uh, the way they run is almost like to the equivalent of a rabbit that uses um, and there's a rabbit that's mostly uh, that also has their power on the front paws so uh-huh. it's like they're pretty good at maneuvering off walls and so every time you get them to a corner to try to grab it he'll parkour off the wall and just barely miss your hands. And then I'd have to go around chasing him again. But um, there's been a couple of incidents like that, but for the most part, it was pretty, uh, everything was pretty maintained. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to think. Uh, that's a great, uh, I'm going to get ChatGPT to, I'm going to write about this interview right after we do it on LinkedIn. And I want to, I'm going to create an image of ChatGPT uh, uh, have, having somebody chase a chinchilla around the room. Oh, perfect. That, that's, I mean, you think it would be fast, but unfortunately, it's like, or not unfortunately, you think you'd be fast at catching it, but it's like, they're so fast at maneuvering. Like, they could do a quick turn, like, without, like, on a dime. So, it's, 
they make you feel foolish after a while. <laughs> um, that's really funny. Uh, okay, so so you were in this chinchilla chinchilla farm. Uh, you've done a few other jobs. You end up invisible. You're at the startup. What is it like to to be at a startup uh, never having been to other startups? I obviously don't have a lot of comparison points, but what what is like what is the essential essence of being at a startup? I believe the the essential essence is just at least from my understanding or what I've experienced is like even though like we're a remote company and we have people working all across the globe, it never felt really like a startup or I mean, let me phrase it. It never felt really like you were disconnected from anybody. I was very fortunate that when I onboarded, I onboarded with Cameron on site. We, um, since we live in the same city, I just go over with him to the coffee shop and we would, and we would go through the onboarding process. He would give me some tasks. He's like, all right, let's start with this and then go from there. So, So I've never felt like there was a disconnect from from people even though you're looking at a screen there was still that sense of like community and with the startup everyone has that same mindset everyone has that sense of like we're creating something that hasn't been created before so everyone's goal is to make sure it's like how do we best achieve that with the next step and everyone that i worked with here has been super understanding and owners of their own fields so it's like you never feel like you're by yourself you always feel like that you're all working for the same towards the same goal even if you're in different departments like product um engineering operations you all feel like we're all going towards that same goal which i think probably a lot of other companies don't feel like that because you're all it's already established. It's already been created in a sense. So you're just kind of coming in to fill a role. Well, at, a, at least at the startup with Invisible, it felt like we were all on level one together. And it's just a matter of, okay, how do we get to level two together? Rather than it's like, oh, some of us are at level two. It was like, we all moved up the ladder together. So it's, that's how, what I, how I felt like uh, how it works with the startup. And it's so crazy with the remote thing as well, because somehow Invisible does a really great job with remote, particularly about getting a lot of people on the same page, uh, but it's all happening remotely. So we're all sitting in our own rooms or at our own coffee shops connected virtually with this sort of like a corporation is in general, a corporation is always uh, more than a sum of its parts, you know, at a good running corporation two people don't equal two persons input, they actually equal three persons input. So the more people that join, as long as it's got a good culture, the large, the more powerful the startup gets, the more stronger it gets, the more fast it gets, all these different things. And somehow Invisible has been able to do this as a remote company. Um, can you talk more about that sort of that mind share? Like, well, how does it, how do you think Invisible did it with the remote work? How do you think that it was successful. A lot of remote companies have had a really big challenge of getting everybody in that same mental cultural sphere. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, yeah. Um, so with this, I feel like because Invisible, Francis says all the time, it's just like he has a very strong emphasis on culture and making sure that there's a sense of community at Invisible. So it's like it really works hard to make sure that everyone is 100% comfortable with the 
with the space that they're in. And there's a lot of working in regards to setting up the, um, oh, excuse me, setting up that mindset when a new hire comes through the pipeline. And it's not just like, oh, you have to follow these rules. It's more it's like, here's the guide on like how you should treat one another in that sense. It's like, even though we're all in different areas, there's never been a point where it's just like, oh, you cannot communicate with others. Like you could, there's that, with how it works is like, you can message anybody directly. Now that could be a good thing or a bad thing nowadays, but I mean, there's not a lot of places where you can have it where, I think on like early on in my career at Invisible, I had the CEO's phone number, you know, and I could call them if I really wanted to. And I think actually a lot of agents have that capability of as well. And there's a, and even today, like there's a lot of different groups on like WhatsApp or Slack that like brings people together. That's not even work related, but has the sense of like community to allow people to enjoy one another and be able just to share experiences without having to worry about a harsh environment that demands like a certain matter of like, oh, you, it's just work here all day. But no, I see people come in just to talk, just to like have a conversation just about anything. And that's what I think that Invisible has done so well. It doesn't prohibit creativity and encourages it to its space level. And I think that's something that Invisible has been able to really capture that I believe a lot of other startups, they say, but they don't practice. Um, and now let's bring the conversation into AI uh, because I think before you started to join, uh, before you joined, Invisible wasn't so much in the AI revolution, but as you have taken more and more part of this company, you've, you've kind of been brought along inside this AI revolution. So I want to ask you, um, what what did that feel like to go in, realize that you're all of a sudden inside of this company that's just becoming a, a rocket ship uh, in, in terms of a startup based on the, the its close proximity in, in AI, not only close proximity, but doing something no one else could do in terms of AI, uh, without mentioning any uh, any uh, um, client information or anything like that, what did it feel like to be plopped right in the middle of an AI revolution? Honestly, it, it kind of feels like how the big tech boom back in the day, or back in the day, like that was from there. Uh, it feels like we're part of this huge evolution that I believe how like the dot-com era was, where all of these companies like creating websites, like creating their their online space. And it feels like that we're part of that that frontier. And it's really, it's incredible without getting too into like the specifics, like to be part of that evolution. It's, I feel like we're really on the, uh, the edge of it where we're, uh, what's the word? That we're pioneers in that sense. So it's so it's really exciting just to kind of see what nothing that we've done so far has been really done outside of other places. So it's really exciting to see like where we lead with it. And it's 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 interesting on how that is because there's all sorts of different uh what's the word? All different uh, technologies that are coming out right now that are having it where 
AI is not being implemented into it. And it's just sometimes like we don't know exactly what that even means in all honesty. So it's really cool to see that invisible is part of that, like shaping those definitions of what it means with AI and like how to calibrate it, how to use it to its event instead of it just being a gimmick. And, and so um oh go for it. So uh and so for those those I probably shouldn't explain your job. I should probably ask you what your job is, but let me let me uh uh, uh just give you give my understanding of what you're doing. You're you're essentially when when somebody comes into the company, when somebody leaves the company, when somebody changes the role, it's your responsibility to go into all these different pieces of software and change those manually. Is that accurate? Change their change their uh, ch ch like remove them from a WhatsApp group, add somebody to a WhatsApp group, uh, go into Hi Bob and change their title if they change titles. Is that an accurate representation of what you're doing? Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty close to it. It's a uh, it's a lot of like working on the manual and security aspects of new hires uh, or offboarded users, as well as taking care of a lot of sensitive information that only. Into certain individuals are allowed to be able to access. My job is to make sure that that access is limited and make sure that all of our systems are secure in a way where any information that is shared through Invisible is in a way where it's traceable as well as being able to replace it at, if need be as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. And now do you, have you started to use AI in your work at all or is it something that probably needs to be manual because of that security aspect? See, if you were to ask me earlier, I would say it's just like I think all of it needs to be manual, yeah. only because it needs that that human security aspect. But I think now, like with the way how fast it's already evolved, just even like the last six months, that I could definitely see a future where AI is going to become more and more prevalent in the IT space, where. Not saying that we'll uh, make all of our stuff obsolete, but it'll make it in a way where we're able to do more with less with AI. Hmm. And now, uh, in terms of access control, uh, I, I imagine things like I, I imagine it's much easier to do access control on a on some on a Google system rather than WhatsApp. WhatsApp is like totally manual. Is that accurate? Yeah, WhatsApp is. Uh, is a manual beast it's they they always implement new features that allow this for lack of a better term false sense of uh <laughs> man uh control yeah but there there is a, a lot of features that they do that that does allow you to control but at the end of the day you don't actually own it and that's the thing that makes me a little hesitant sometimes with whatsapp yeah, because it's just it's so manual because you have to go in like if if somebody leaves the company, then you have to go in into every single WhatsApp group that they're a part of. And and I imagine you have some list or something like that of all the different WhatsApp groups and you just go group by group by group and then and then remove them. Is that accurate? Yes, it's uh, now it's at least there's a new feature where with communities, if all those groups that they're in are in one community, if I just remove them from that one community it'll remove them all from that. So that's nice. There's just no easy way to do it for the other way around to add them all to every group. To that community. You still got to do that. Yeah, exactly. You got to do all that manual stuff. And so do you, when you're doing this, uh, uh, do you get into the flow state? Uh, we'll, we'll repeat that, sorry. 
Uh, so do you get into the flow state and for you or many of the other listeners to, uh, to, to explain more what the flow state is, there's a really interesting like uh, cognitive science term uh, invented by Csikszentmihalyi talks about the flow state. And the flow state is in a state that we get into whether, whether we're doing activities. For me, I get into it immediately when I'm doing basketball or whether I'm dancing or anything like that. But it also happens in work. And sometimes it happens in work, like what you're talking about, when I have to go do something that requires a lot of manual entry and stuff like that. And so I'm asking, do you do you experience the flow state? And what's it like? What's your secret sauce to being able to do this thing that no one else can do? Okay, now I understand. <laughs> Thank you for dumbing it down for me. No. <laughs> so with the flow state, yeah, I do actually experience it in a lot of ways with uh, what I do. And if we're using WhatsApp as an example, the the way I see it as, is I just go based on whatever is being created or what is being uh, removed. I kind of just pick that one contingent or that one aspect of it. For example, it's like if we're doing a whole bunch of, we have these things called mafias, which is this cool uh, feature where we have uh, different groups of people from around the world in those locations. So for example, we got like a Las Vegas mafia, we got a LA mafia, we got a Buenos Aires mafia. Um, and in these mafias, there's locals and people who love to travel that they're in those groups. So then they could be able to converse and maybe set up plans where they can talk to one another and set up events with each other. And how I use the flow state in that regard is this, I will pick whichever mafia from there and kind of just change everything on it and then move on to the next because I feel like it's easier for, at least for me to have it where it's like everything on it is done and you don't have to worry about coming back to it to adjust it accordingly like you have it you know when you move off of it that everything is updated to the best of its abilities or to the best of its uh procedures so then you don't have to worry about coming back and altering it as needed uh that's really cool and and huge respect for what you do because i and i do think that nobody else can do it how and uh and so you've got like this dependency inside this organization the other other the the organization is like totally dependent on you to do this thing that if anybody else were they would it would probably take them probably three months to figure out how to figure out your role. What does it feel like to find your, your niche inside of an organization? Had you ever had that in any of the other places that you worked? And what's that feel like? So I've never really felt like, not useful. I've never felt this sense of pride with what I did. I mean, I've enjoyed what I've done in other companies and things like that, but it's never been felt like the need is like, um, I'm very replaceable in that regards, but at Invisible, I, I actually have learned to not feel that way at all based on my role because I've, and Cameron has mentioned this to me before. It's like, um, you've probably, and now we have uh, my uh, our new director of information technology, Britton Ware, my manager, who's a, an amazing individual. But it's like, outside of us, it's like, we've probably what we do we've touched every single system in some capacity like there was a time where i was working with finance to uh, during the days of paypal when we were um paying Whoa. agents through paypal Whoa. um 
<laughs> and so um, I've worked uh, directly with Francis to figure out how to set up for his scheduling. I've worked with product to make sure that their systems are reading into the software's sides and uh, with operations being on client calls just to share credentials and what have you. So it's like, I feel very blessed that my role has it where it's just like, it's not easily definable because like I have my finger in every single pie and nobody is against that. Everyone prefers us to have our fingers in everyone's pie. And yeah. that's really cool. That's <laughs> yeah. no, no one's questioning it. It's all just like, that's Renee's job. Like Renee able to go do that. And you do it. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's one of those things is like when they see me pop up on Slack on a message, it's like, okay, we know it's going to be okay. Everything's okay. And that, that that's such a good feeling because then, you know, you feel that sense of like, not that they, everyone needs me, but it's like that trust, that sense of trust that they have. This is like, okay, we know things are going to get done when Renee pops up, when Britain pops up. And that's what I really enjoy about the IT space that we've created here. Yeah. Um, so we've been talking a lot about trust. People trust you, uh, almost implicitly and explicitly. Uh, and, 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 and what do you think is the essence of trust? Why do people trust you? Why do people trust anybody? What, what, what does trust mean to you? Trust means, uh, that dependency and the, uh, the sense of like camaraderie and the fact that I can ask for um, just as much as people can ask of me. I know I could ask of them and it's like, and they'd be able to help me to the best of their abilities, just as I can to the best of my abilities. And it's that sense is like, if we can't do it separately, we could do it together. And that's what I enjoy about that regards of trust. That sense is like, whatever is happening, you can know that both parties will do whatever they can to make that goal a reality. And so like, cause you have that common goal of whatever that thing may be, whether it's sharing something or creating something together, it's that, com that common goal that you guys share that I think that trust is a really big part of. That's pretty cool. Okay, so the last five, ten, five or 10 minutes left. Uh, I remember right when I started a few months later that you had told me that you have a bird um, is it true that you have a bird and what kind of bird is it? Yes, uh, I have an African gray parrot. Her name is Leia and she got her name because I'm a huge Star Wars fan and I wanted it because she was a little baby at the time. So I wanted to call her my Princess Leia. <laughs> and so that way when she gets older, she could be my General Leia or my Queen Leia. And she lives up to the name. She is a sassy as Carrie Fisher and as ruthless as can be in some aspects how oh, how oh, uh, go more into the ruthlessness uh so she she has a very set bedtime as soon as five o'clock sits or as soon as it gets dark she needs to be in bed or else she will let you hear it she will squawk she will cry she will bang on the uh, on her cage until you go over and say okay it's time for bed and she has uh her bed is a smaller cage, a travel-sized cage, in a darker area of the room where it's covered with uh, cloth and uh, blankets. So that way she has this completely silent for her. And she needs to make sure she's in it. And now she's got it to the case where you can't just take her out. You have to make sure you give her a treat to do it. You have to bribe her to actually go to bed. 
which is my fault. I shouldn't have encouraged it, but at the time I was like, oh, it gets her to bed faster. But now it's now it's expected now and now it's expected of me to make sure she gets her nightly treats before bed. And does is this a parrot that can speak? Yes. So she actually knows. She actually has the intelligence of, I believe, a four year old, a four year old toddler, and she could actually speak pretty well. Um, I'm training her to be able to say to understand sentences correctly rather than just kind of just spitting whatever she wants. But yeah, she, there's been times when on calls, you could hear her in the background talking and people will be like, Oh, is there someone else there? It's like, Oh no, that's my parent. She's just talking about whatever. And usually she'll just repeat the names of other animals that we had here or she'll, um, she actually, when um, the movie Coco came out, yeah. And uh, whenever that it was, she actually repeated, uh, <clears throat> and this is the first time she's ever done it, where it was a full sentence, where when the Coco won Best Animated Feature, she's, she squawked like crazy, and she says, Coco won, Coco won. So it's just like, and she's never said that since. And it was like, we never told her to say Coco or won, but she heard it once. So she has that ability to learn really fast it's just that she's stubborn about it <laughs> it's so funny uh and so uh how does a parrot have the same intelligence as a four-year-old infant have you looked into this like how does uh like a parrot it's just such a small brain how do you know how they can approach the same levels of intelligence as a, as a four-year-old so the way how it is with uh parrots and it's like the same thing with uh some primates they actually have a lot of the cognitive thinking that we do because uh what's the word they are actually able to understand their surroundings like where some animals are have it where it's a very baseline understanding Do uh parrots and like parrots magpies ravens and crows they're able to be problem solvers and that's what it is with uh how they operate where a lot of animals go off instincts uh parrots and uh Dolphins and chimps are able to do uh, basic, not basic math, but basic understanding of like how to deconstruct a situation and then adjust it accordingly to their own events to be able to problem solve basically on um, whatever it is. Like I could have it where I close a ball and I have treats inside of it. She knows that if she throws it on the ground hard enough, it'll break open and she can grab the treats or she can have it where she could put a piece of her wood block into it and crack it open that way. So she's already discovered two different ways to open up this ball of treats instead of like where most animals will probably just keep clawing at it until it eventually opens or give up where she's already found two different options to do it. And I'm sure she'll figure out a third one on the way. But it's just, I think that's what it is, is like that problem solving. So, but how, it's yeah. so crazy because they have such small brains. Like they just have, must must have extremely efficient brains. I'm going to go do some research on this afterwards because I've been, I've been doing a lot of interviews with people about uh, who are all trying to learn how to use, how to program the AI according to what we know about neuroscience. And apparently our brains are really efficient. They, they are able to do what all the LLM, language models can't do which is all the mm -hmm. large language models take insane amounts of power insane amounts of compute and our brain is doing way 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 more 
on something like 20 to 40 watts of electricity. And the fact that you're telling me that birds can do all this stuff is just blowing my mind because they have much, much smaller brains. So that means that those brains must be just much, much more efficient. Yeah. And it's, I think it's because like you said, it's like they're, they have to have some sort of neural understanding in there because like um, koalas, for example, they, they have a bigger brain than a bird, but they're the dumbest animals on the planet. They will, you could cut off uh, uh, eucalyptus, what they eat off a branch and put it in on a plate in front of them and they won't know what to do with it. But if you put that same uh, leaves back on the branch, they'll eat it because they understand they have such limited understanding of anything. They don't have the ability to think. So they go strictly off instinct. So if you change any of that, that formula that they have, it causes for lack of a better term, a disruption in their brain where they're just like, Oh shoot, I don't know how to compute with this now. So that's why, um, that's what I think that parrots have and a lot of other animals have over it. They're able to have that understanding that of what the situation is rather than just see at face value. <laughs> That's really interesting. Um, and do you have any chinchillas still? Oh, we have one. His name is, uh, <laughs> creative name. His name is Chinchi. <laughs> and he's... Uh, he runs, uh, he'll be quiet during the whole day. And then as soon as night, because they're nocturnal, as soon as night comes around, you'll hear him on his wheel going 100 miles per an hour, just running in circles. Uh, and are, are you going to be bringing all these animals to the offsite? Uh, of course. If I could, I've already, I've joked a bunch of times, but I said, if I could bring my parrot in every offsite without worrying about like not being able to bring her back to the States, I would. Yeah. Um... And... Do you walk around? Do you walk around with your parent? Does it sit on your shoulder? Uh yes. So she stays on my shoulder, but once she gets crabby, she wants to like grab my ear. So she has she has two different chairs that she uses that I put her on top of the chair and she'll watch she actually has to watch TV when I'm gone, or else she gets irritated. And it's because she's lonely, because parents are very social animals. So she needs that sense of community for herself. So I actually have a profile photo or a profile account on Disney Plus for my parrot, which plays reruns of Bluey and Blue's Clue, not Blue's Clue, Bluey, uh, Mickey's Mouse Clubhouse, and it's just for her, so she can watch her shows. <laughs> That's great. Uh, and oh, there's a question I had. Um, oh, have you ever done a Zoom call with your parrot on your shoulder? Uh, oh. A couple times with. Uh, his name is Rick Pedraza, uh, actually Francis's uh, father. Uh, he loves Leia. So whenever I'm on a call, I try to make sure Leia is on call with me because he he's infatuated with her. He's He thinks she's just the coolest. So funny. Uh, well, thank you so much, Renee. This was an absolute delight. Um, uh, if anybody at Invisible is listening to this and wants to get in touch with you about anything, how can they find you? Uh, you guys can find me on uh, on everything from uh, email at renee at invisible.email to slack at just renee arias or even on my on whatsapp um, i believe everyone has that and if not just dm me and i could send it on over to you thank you so much renee uh, thank you so much Stuart. it was a pleasure man hey thanks for tuning into plain sight presented by invisible if you liked what you heard be sure to hit the subscribe button and consider sharing with your network and if you're interested in learning more about how Invisible helps teams cut costs and scale, visit our website at invisible.co. See you next time.